And I think that's about it, is it? And thank you, you found the PowerPoint. And let me just pray again as we look into God's word. Father, thank you for, just thank you for the privilege of being able to be in your presence here tonight. Uh, we take that for granted, but we want to just uh, stand in awe of your presence tonight and, and say thank you that we can come here. Thank you that you are here by the power of your spirit and you're moving and you're touching lives already, you have been, and you'll continue to do that because we're here to lift Jesus up in this place. It's all about you, Lord. Your centre stage. Nothing would work if you weren't. So, Lord, we just thank you that you're here tonight by your power, by your presence. And you want to just touch us tonight. And, Father, may we be open and receptive to all that you want to say and do. And may we have hearts that are soft and open and receptive to all that you want us to do, that we might act and respond in obedience to you. So bless us, Lord, that we, being blessed, may go and be a blessing to others this week. Challenge us about that too, Lord. We're not just here to feel good for ourselves and to enjoy the blessing for ourselves. We're here to give out. So help us today to really ask you, have the courage to say, Lord, help me this week to share something of what I've learnt with someone else this week. And Lord, I believe you'll answer that prayer. So Lord, here we are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. And we commit ourselves into your loving hands now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, had the privilege of preaching at Hertford Street this morning and there's a few of our folks that are here so you guys are going to hear that sermon again isn't that great yay what is it repetition 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 I heard there's a uh, story uh, obviously the, the events happened many years ago there's a story of two German Christians who actually joined the German army in World War II Many years ago, they were interviewed by the late Joe Bailey, who was a columnist for Eternity magazine. And they told him how they had turned down a promotion because it required both of them to join the officers club, which is part of the deal. And as Christians, they had this conviction that they ought not to join the officers club because they knew that to join the officers club, that meant that they had to go to dances, they had to go to different events, it meant drinking, it meant dancing for them. And for them, it also meant that uh, there was that possibility because they knew that sort of immoral type stuff was going on in the officers club as well. So because of that whole atmosphere and their convictions, they turned down the promotion. Um, Later, these same two men, possibly rewarded for their denial of promotion, were actually assigned to the death camps, where, although not directly involved with the atrocities and the mass murders that were going on there, they were nonetheless fully aware of what was going on in that place and yet never once voiced any protest. When Joe Bailey talked to them about these things after the war, many, many years after the war, these guys apparently looked back with no regret, convinced that they had made right decisions. For them, not conforming to social pressure and refusing to dance was an act of righteousness. Conforming to patriotic mass murder and atrocities and remaining silent left them with no feelings of unrighteousness. 
Following this story, Haddon Robinson made this comment. He said, When we set our own standard of external righteousness, when we set our own standard of external righteousness, we are capable of any evil. When we are filled with Christ's righteousness, no good is too great. You know, as we look at this scripture uh, tonight from Luke's gospel, I want to suggest that there are three types of justification that we are all exposed to and, and I'm sure we'll be familiar with in this life. Three types of justification. Um, the first one Jesus speaks of is in this parable that, we, uh, that was read tonight. So have a look at verse 9 of Luke 18. We're talking about the whole topic of justification tonight. So Luke 18 verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And in the original Greek, the word for righteousness, in fact, is the same root, it comes from the same root word or the same word for justification. Righteousness, justification, same word in the original Greek. So it wouldn't be out of place if we read this. To some who are confident of their own justification and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So the word justification certainly would not be out of place in that context. And Jesus, by what he actually says in verse 14 of this parable, he kind of confirms this because look at what he says. Verse 14, he says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home Justified before God. So the first type of justification that we see here, we're just going to call this self-justification. The first type of justification when we see in this parable, self-justification. And have you noticed, have you noticed when you think about it, and if we're really honest with ourselves, how proficient we are in exercising self-justification. We're pretty good, aren't we, at being able to exercise this self-justification. And have that little voice that says, I'm not sure if I should have done that. No, it's fine. Everybody else, no worries. I did okay. I'm all right. I did it. It's fine. I'm okay. Whatever little words you say. But I reckon we're pretty good at exercising self-justification. Listen again to what the Pharisees said. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. I don't know, in other words, it seems to me it's as if he is saying, God, I thank you that I'm not really the problem here. I thank you that it's not me at fault, that I'm not like him, not like her. Um, these ones who, whose lives are just in a mess, they're full of bad and horrible things. Uh, thank you that I'm not like that. And that's probably the reason the world's in such a mess, Lord. But not so with me. Just look at me. Look at what I do. Look at the good things that I do for you. 
it's almost as if he's using those kind of words or he has that attitude as he's praying. It's a clear example of self-justification. But here's, here's the question. Where does that stand with God? If we're struggling with this self-justification, you kind of, if there's a few things that are sort of touching you tonight and you're thinking, yeah, you know what? I can relate to some of that. Then I just want you to think about that and I want to ask that question tonight. You know, where does that stand with God, do you think? Warren Wearsby, uh, he says this, the Pharisee talked to himself about himself, but the publican prayed to God and was heard. Look at these verses again. 13 and 14 of Luke 18. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Sorry, look at these verses again. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we know that self-justification, as you read this parable and hear what Jesus said, it doesn't work for God. Self-justification does not work for God. It doesn't work for any of us. And I'm sure that we've all tried it. We all have. It all seems to be part of our human nature, that we'll self-justify, and we do it very well. It's nothing new. King David did it. He knew about this truth as well. When after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, you remember that, uh, with his adultery with a Bathsheba. And whatever self-justification he might have had at that time, once he was confronted and convicted, that self-justification kind of went out the window. Just didn't wash, didn't, just didn't work for him anymore. And he knew he had to be clean. He had to come straight out with God, be clean and honest before God. And so we have Psalm fifty-one seventeen, where David says this, This is after he's been confronted about his sin. And he says this, The the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not ignore. Self-justification doesn't work. This humbling yourself before God, having that broken spirit, repenting and all those sorts of things does work with God. But there's another type of justification And an example of this one is found this time in Luke 16. So have a look at Luke 16 and look at these words. Because there's another type of justification here that's being presented to us. Luke 16, 13 to 15 says this, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. You can picture that, sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Wow, cop that one. So what do you think we have here? The second type of justification, we'll call that others 
justification or crowd justification. And what I mean by that is it's, it's where we find justification in the eyes of other people or in the crowd that we seem to relate to. And it may be our peers. We may find justification in what we do amongst our peers. We may find it amongst our colleagues. It's this crowd or others justification. And the Pharisees did that quite effectively. You see, they had certain beliefs and practices which they believed assured them of a right and just standing with God. And to their way of thinking, their attitudes didn't come into this. Their attitudes, such as their love for money, had no bearing on their religious status. That's how they saw it. As long as they continued to practice their outward religious duties by which they were able to justify themselves before others, before men, before the crowd, well then they considered themselves to be just before God, put on the external religious duties which they're trained to do, which they believed was right in God's sight, then they believed that they were justified before God. And they found that justification in the crowds and others. And see, this helps to explain why they sneered at Jesus after hearing this parable see to their arrogant way of thinking who was this person Jesus who did this bloke think he was who was this itinerant from Galilee that he should tell us that he should speak down to us does he know who we are who does he think he is and see that's also this will also help that attitude but also helped to explain why Jesus said those things to him in Luke 16 when he said these words you are the ones because Jesus sees right through us doesn't he we can put on a good front but Jesus sees right through it so don't try to hide he sees it and so he says this to them you're the ones who's who the ones who try to justify yourselves in the eyes of men but God knows your heart that's it What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Don't put on religious outward show. God sees the truth of who you are in your heart. He knows what justification means. And isn't it frightening when you really think about this? Don't you think it's kind of frightening to think of what we can actually justify if we believe that we are justified in the eyes of the crowd that we relate to it's pretty scary i mean just think of those two german soldiers who had that conviction that they ought not to dance it might lead to immorality but here they were in a death camp with all this rotten stuff going on all these atrocities they knew about it and yet remained silent and felt it was okay justification with the crowd they were taking they were just doing orders they were obeying orders um And no doubt you've heard it said, maybe you've said it yourself, you know what, she just got in with the wrong crowd. You know what, he just got in with the wrong crowd. And that crowd often will be just the place who will help to justify you of your actions. They'll justify us. We'll justify each other, whether the actions are legal, whether they're illegal, We'll justify each other if they're illegal and, and if sometimes when the, when the practices are even evil practices, they can be justified in the crowd, 
that you're with. Those things happen. Getting in with the wrong crowd, they'll justify what you do. Take, for example, the street gangs and the outlaw motorcycle gangs and people like that, completely justified in what they do because the crowd says, hey, that's okay, we do exactly the same thing. They get their justification from others. I can still remember watching a, um, uh, an interview on TV with uh, a street gang, one of the street gang leaders in Melbourne. And this young guy with his mates, with his gang members, there was absolutely no question that they felt completely justified among themselves of knifing or bashing anyone who got in their way. Justified in doing that comes back to Haddon Robinson's comment that I mentioned earlier he says when we set our own standard of external righteousness external justification we are capable of any evil and that's pretty scary dumb question but here it goes so where do you think the others or the crowd justification stands with God is that where we really find our justification with the crowds, with others? Where does that stand before God? The third type of justification, we'll just call it God's justification. God's justification. Look at this parable again and look at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, beat his breast and said, God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Justified before God. Not self-justification, not justified before the crowd. Justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted so what happened here what what happened that this tax collector went home with god's justification well a lot of it had to do with what warren wearsby says again when he explained it this way he says the tax collector prayed to god not to himself as the pharisee had done also <clears throat> the tax collector also he came before god with a prayer of confession and humility I think there's the key. You're getting that? He came to God with a prayer of confession and humility. You see, because God knows your heart. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You can't bluff your way with God. He sees the, he sees the truth. And the humility is so important, you see, because pride will never be found in God's presence. Pride never cuts it with God. You won't get too far with a proud heart before God. doesn't work. Someone said that um, the gates of heaven are so low, or the gate of heaven is so low, that no one may enter except they be on their knees. I think that's a good description, isn't it? And then the Apostle Peter simply says in 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what's God's justification? What does this mean? What does it mean? How do we obtain God's justification? Well, see, the Apostle Paul in his letter, he says a lot about this doctrine called justification. It's a powerful, wonderful doctrine of our Christian faith. And the Apostle Paul says a lot of things. 
And for example, here's one thing he says. Uh, in Romans 8, in verse 29 to 30, we read these words. For those God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So first of all, we can see, uh, we can clearly see from these verses that it's only God who can justify a person. Only God who can do that. No one else can. Only God can justify a person. Have a look again at all the personal pronouns that are, looked at, that are in that actual verse. In verse 30, look at the personal pronouns, he. Let's read it again. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. He justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? That this justification only comes from God. He's the only one that can do that. Secondly, um, justification is only possible only possible on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross when he died for you and me for our sin that is the only possible way that we you and I could ever stand just and righteous before God is on the basis of the finished work of Calvary's cross no other way doesn't matter how good you think you are you will never be justified before God if it were not for the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that again in Romans 5 and verse 9. He says this, Since we have now been justified, listening, since we have now been justified by his blood, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? justified by his blood only the cross makes it possible theologian wayne grudem he gives this definition of justification he says this interesting ways put it justification is an instantaneous legal act of god let me say it again oh you've got it up there justification is an instantaneous legal act of god in which he firstly thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and secondly declares us to be righteous in his sight isn't that powerful stuff it's a legal declaration from God so in Revelation 12 11 I think it is where 10 11 where it talks about the accuser who accuses us day and night before the father has been cast down the accuser has been cast down because of Calvary because of the blood of Christ and the, and the Bible says and they being us overcome them because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony so that Satan has nothing on you if you belong to Christ He's got nothing on you. There is no accusation that will stick before God because of the cross of Christ, because of the blood of Jesus that has washed you, cleansed you, justified you before God. So there's no one that can accuse you. The evil one cannot. He'll try, but it gets cast out of heaven because God sees the cross. He sees Jesus Christ, the one who has justified you. 
Isn't that awesome? It's this declaration. So let's see firstly that God's justification needs to be understood as a legal declaration from God. Let me ask you tonight, so what do you think? What do you think tonight for yourself? Just have a think about this. What do you think God's declaration of you is tonight in terms of your guilt before him? I'm not saying that to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I just want you to get the weight of this tonight. What do you think God is saying about your justification? Or what do you think his declaration about your justification might be tonight? And then I want you to get this. Get this. What's he saying to you? If you belong to Christ tonight, what do you think his declaration regarding your guilt is tonight? What do you think his declaration regarding your justification is tonight? If you're in Christ. Anyone, anyone suggest? Are you guilty? Are you not guilty? What's the declaration? He declares you not guilty. In Christ you are not guilty. Simple as that. Outside of Christ we are guilty, all of us. But this legal declaration from God because of the cross and you've accepted Jesus and his cleansing power over your life, then you are declared not guilty. And this is what Paul says. Listen to what he says about that in Romans 8, 33 to 35. Powerful words, words that we really need to soak in tonight. Uh, Romans 8, 33 says this, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We're not guilty. If you're in Christ tonight, there's no accusation that will stick because you are justified in the very presence of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Isn't that awesome? It is based entirely on what Jesus did when he died for you, being raised again, you and I, through our faith in Christ, we are legally declared by God to be justified before him. And there's an old saying, it's been around for a long time, but I like it, and so I'll put it up again. How is justified spelt? Remember that one? It's spelt like this. Just if I'd never sinned. That's been around for a while. If it's new tonight, grab it. It's because I think it's powerful. I think it speaks powerfully about what we're saying tonight. Justified, just if I'd never sinned. That's how God looks at you because of what his son did for you on the cross. Powerful cross of Christ. And see, this is why Paul is able to declare to the Roman believers in Romans 8.1, where he says, on this basis, because of the cross, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus isn't that awesome it doesn't matter what your past is if you're in Christ tonight then you're justified it's as if you'd never sinned that's how thoroughly you've been cleansed that's how real the power of God's justification is in your life that's how powerful it is that you have become a brand new creation in Christ there's no condemnation anymore for those who are in Christ but the other part of God's justification is not only to legally declare that we are forgiven of sin and therefore justified, 
But as Grudem also says, he says, when God looks at you and me, he sees Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. Yep, declaration, not guilty, justified. But he also sees Christ's righteousness in us. Our sins are forgiven, they're taken away, but something else has happened as part of God's act of justifying us. And that's Christ's righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed to us, credited to us, um, ascribed to us, belonging to us. That's what it means. And Isaiah in the, in the Old Testament, he prophesied that this was going to happen. That this was going to happen to God's people. And so he says this in Isaiah 61.10. He says, I greatly, sorry, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic tonight? He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me with a robe of righteousness. Whose garments of salvation are they? They're his, but he's given them to you. Whose robe of righteousness is this? It's his but he's bestowed it on you. And Paul explains to the Romans how Christ has fulfilled this prophecy. Isaiah's prophesying about Christ doing this. And now Paul says, this is how Christ fulfilled it. And he says this in Romans 3, 21, 22, but now a righteousness from God or a justification from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Isaiah was one this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe all who believe without exception how powerful how amazing so to sum all this up tonight in a bit of a poetic way we read it this way we can say that God's justification came only through God's initiation by means of his legal declaration and his righteous imputation. And all this, all this could only ever be possible because of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. It all comes back to the cross. So, you know, so when all is said and done, the question that each one of us here tonight needs to be able to answer is this. Whose justification do you find yourself depending on? That's the question I want you to ponder tonight. Whose justification do you find yourself depending on? Is it your own? Is it the crowds? Or is it this kind of justification that we've been talking about tonight, this kind that comes only through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's just pray together. And if you're here tonight and you've kind of got some questions about this, please ask, please ask somebody here tonight before you leave. If there's something you don't quite understand or you're feeling a bit uncomfortable about this, then I'm going to invite you, don't go, don't leave here before you talk to someone. I think God sent the rain so you'll stay in a bit longer. Yeah. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your great love for us. How can we say thank you enough for the cross?
How can we say thank you? Is it really adequate to say that to you tonight for all that you've done for us when you shed your blood on Calvary's cross? You made us justified. You declared us not guilty. You bestowed on us a righteousness that we could never, ever know, never know apart from Jesus. Lord, thank you for doing that for us. Thank you for washing away all the stains of the past when we put our trust in you. Thank you for making us a new creation. Thank you for writing our names in heaven. Thank you for these amazing things that just blows our minds if we really ponder them and contemplate them, reflect on them. And Father, tonight, fill us afresh with the excitement of belonging to you. And as you fill us with that excitement, Lord, help us then to just want to kind of bubble out with this and tell someone else. Help us to show and tell this amazing truth to those that you may bring across our path during the week. Chances are they're doing it tough and they have no hope. Who knows, they could be guilt-ridden and yet your blood can cleanse us from all sin and make us justified before you. Lord, that's a message that others need to hear. Help us not to be frightened, but to be open, bold, available to share that with someone else this week. And Father, there's no question about it. You'll arrange the appointment. We just want to be available for you to do that. Just use us as we are. And I know you'll delight to do that. So Lord, bless you. Thank you for this precious time together. We just want to worship you and say thanks so much for being this great Redeemer God who makes us justified before God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks.